Welcome to the Center of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. I'm not here every time, but I'm here most of the time. Yep, you are. And who is not here today is our middle brother, Matthew, who unfortunately has the flu. Do you think it's the flu? Do we think it's the flu? He told me it was the flu multiple times, so I'm just going to take him at his word. Did Um, he go and like have that confirmed that it's the flu? No, he doesn't go to the doctor. He doesn't do that. No, that's bullcrap. I don't think it's the flu. Well, hopefully you listen to this, Matthew, and you know Michael's calling you a liar. Yep. (laughs) There it is. He called me a cheater on our text thread last night (laughs) with uh, all the fantasy football um, people. Well, you are a cheater. Um, because I pulled off a fantastic trade as the commissioner of the league. I don't think that, <laughs> Wait, made, it didn't, that makes me a treat. It didn't cheater. turn out that well for you. It didn't at all. <laughs> but it made everyone hate you. Yeah. Um, all right. So this week, disappointing as all get out. Um, the most Brownsy game ever. The Browns fall to the Arizona Cardinals 24 to 38. Okay, super disappointing. I'm going to interject here. There's been multiple disappointing losses this season. But this... The last three road losses. So this one at Arizona. Yep. At Pittsburgh a few weeks ago. Very disappointing. And then um, the Tennessee game. Yes. Which is the most... Which is the most... Oh, no. The the Denver game. the, The Denver game. Yeah. Which of those three is most disappointing to you? Well... Honestly, it, it has to be this one because, I don't know, in the moment. It's just the freshest. In the moment, it might have been the Denver. Oh, the they all were game. horrible. They all hurt so deep. I mean, we just win one of those. Like, I'm fine with dropping the Steelers game if we beat Denver, but Denver's actually looked a lot better. But a good, but a good team, I think, beat, wins at least two <clears throat> of those games. If we win two of those games, we're basically in the playoffs right now. And we should have. No, like, this game is the most inexcusable of them all. I mean, the Cardinals, they had three wins going into this game. They hadn't played, hadn't beaten anybody good. They beat, like, the Bengals. Um, they beat the Giants and the Falcons. I mean, they've been playing fairly well. Like, it's not like they've been getting blown out in a lot of these games. They had lost six in a row going into this game. But they were competing. Their offense, in particular, has been pretty decent. The thing that's, I mean, there's a lot of things that I think are bad about this game. Like, I could go on and on and complain and whine, like, for more than Our this podcast could contain. The run. Um, but, I mean, their offense has been pretty good. Their defense has been horrible. And so that's particularly frustrating, is that although we did move the ball, um, it wasn't like we were dominating that defense like there was plenty of times where we had a we had a difficult time no we've looked like we've looked the entire season yeah we've shown quick flashes and we've gotten some points but we have not been able to consistently hold drives together and move the football down the field that with the exception of nick chubb nick chubb was phenomenal in this game i mean he as he's been all year i mean like there's not been a game where you've been able to say oh nick chubb didn't really bring it today i mean he's Unreal. It's an absolute joy to watch. I mean, there's nothing that I enjoy more than watching a, when I'm watching a Browns loss than just watching Nick Chubb go off. There, um, was, there was one run early in the second half in this game where he went through the middle, made this like hesitation move, bounced it outside, and then just accelerated down the left sideline. 
and, and almost got in the end zone. Almost got in the end zone. And he just it was like this weird thing where he was like dancing. You couldn't really tell what he was doing, but everybody was missing him. And then all of a sudden he got a, like a little bit of daylight and he just exploded past everybody that was trying to like catch him from behind. And it was like it's almost hard to like reconcile in your brain like what is happening because you don't see anyone else his size moving like that and it seems so like effortless Fluid. and like yeah and he's not even doing anything that much he doesn't have this like herky jerky like LaShawn McCoy style of like juking anyone but he always is in the right position he's always in balance he's able it's like people talk about how he gets so many yards after contact but it's because he sees everything so clearly and sets himself up so well Yes, he's really balanced, but it's not like he's running people over and then like getting five more yards. He, there is he, some contact, but he like is he perfectly puts himself in position relative to the defenders and sets everything up so well. And then when he gets the opportunity, he can put on the jets and run past somebody. Like it's unreal. And when he gets put in an opportunity where he gets back into a corner and there's people wrapped around his waist, he never stops driving his legs. And he does get those five extra yards. I mean, it just, it seems like he's the complete package. Yeah. And my favorite part about Nick Chubb is even after a run like that, where like my jaw is on the floor and I'm like, what did I just see? He just gets up like it was any other like three yard run. Like he's, he's just like, like, gives the ball to the ref. There's like his facial expression has not changed one bit. Has he ever emoted <laughs> in any way to anyone for any reason? Um, is that like his, his face in the bedroom too? I is he like just kind of, is he just kind of like, mm, thank yeah, you. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> um, uh, guys ridiculous. I, who was it? Was it Matthew that was talking about the fact that, um, I, I don't know where I heard this, but apparently in the weight room, um, Joel Batonio works out with Nick Chubb all the time. Yeah. And just. Never once in the entire season has Nick Chubb brought up the fact that he's leading the NFL in rushing and might get a rushing title. Uh, he just goes to work. and He has a commanding um, grasp on the rushing title at the moment. I think he's got over a 100-yard lead on it now, doesn't he? Yeah, he's ahead of Derrick Henry and um, Christian McCaffrey. Um, doesn't look like over 100 yards for sure. He also has, um, in the season right now, 2019, it's 1,408 yards. Uh, which is tied for fifth all time in a Brown season, um, tied with Jim Brown. And uh, he can f- pass Jim Brown a couple more times. He can up pass. The list. He can pass Jim Brown if he gets another yard, or he would have to pass Jim Brown at the one slot, two slot, three slot, and four slot. So, of all the top seven rushers, Nick Chubb is one, and Jim Brown is the other. Other six. It's not even close. Um, no, but yeah, what was in, what was was there anything encouraging about this game to you? You know, I, I rewatched it today. Yep. Um, which was two days. You know, we're recording a day later than we typically do. Normally, I, it's fairly fresh in my brain when I rewatch it. Either I rewatch it later on Sunday or I rewatch it on Monday in the middle of the day. So this was a little bit more time, and I actually, I. Uh, actually watch the coach's film because normally the coach's film isn't available till Tuesday. So that was kind of nice. 
So I got to see every play twice because you see it from the two different angles. So I felt like I actually got to digest it pretty well. And the one thing that I did come away with is that our offense really wasn't that bad. Like Baker threw that interception on the first drive, but like we moved the ball right down the field. It wasn't like exciting and there wasn't huge chunk plays, but we were very efficient. Like we moved the ball all the way down the field. And Baker made the right read. He just threw a horrible ball. If he throws the right ball to Odell there, he's wide open on the goal line. It would have been a touchdown. He just had one of those really bad overthrows that he's been apt to have, like two or three per game, it seems like. And so that that kills you right there. And then we just kind of got behind. We moved the ball all day. The thing that was frustrating is that Arizona's offense seemed to be moving it much easier than the Browns were. And so I think that made the Browns offense look worse. But on reflection, the, the offense wasn't really terrible. So the things that looked really bad were that interception and then that one play that everyone has seen over and over again in the third quarter when we had things within striking distance. It was 21 to 17, and it was a third down play around midfield. And Baker rolls out to the right and forces the ball to Landry whenever Odell is wide open running the pattern just above him to the sideline like i saw it live and it didn't make sense we've seen it replayed on twitter a bunch of times if you follow anybody that's a browns fan on twitter they've asked the question why in the world wouldn't he throw it to odell anyone that has played quarterback that has commented on this said it's a really simple read i haven't heard anything from baker necessarily but like it's very odd to me that he's rolling out there and forcing it to landry instead of making the read on that particular play and throwing it to the literally wide open Odo Beckham. I that one baffles me. And we ended up getting having to punt the ball there and then they scored a touchdown and it was kind of we were kind of screwed from there. It's Baker seems like a completely different quarterback from this year to last. The he's as decisive, but he's not making the decisions to the right people. I think that he got at the beginning of the season, he got frazzled trying to throw the ball Force the ball to o- Odell as early and often as he possibly could, and they just never got in rhythm. And now he's just not looking his way at all. No, he is though. Like he had over ten targets in this game. Like Odell had, I think, eleven or twelve targets. But in they're game. not in sync. They can't like when he does look his way. It's like I'm throwing to Odell and Odell only. It's not like a late, late progression read where he's like, "Oh, Odell's open. I'm going to throw it to him." It's like I'm going to force it to him. There's no doubt that exactly Baker. There's do. no doubt that Baker's not comfortable in our offense right now, and I don't know if that's Baker's fault for not being prepared, or if it's the coach's fault for not having him prepared. But he's clearly not comfortable where he's just going back and like slinging it and letting the game come to him. Which like, it doesn't make any sense because we have literally the definition of a team that would make a quarterback comfortable. No, 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 that's not true. Well, besides, uh, besides the offense, but our running game is phenomenal. Nick Chubb is getting huge yards. It's a huge threat to all the defensive linemen and the linebackers should be biting up constantly. And there should be windows behind the linebackers. I don't, have you, I don't know where I can get these stats. I think this is probably, I know this is available out there somewhere, and I wish I had it at my fingertips to tell everyone. But my guess and it, from just watching, it seems like we're not relying on that running game in any way, shape, or form. Like, we, the game script seems to be, like, pass, and then it doesn't work out, and like, oh, let's rely on Nick Chubb. And then it's kind of too late, 
and we're like scrambling to get back in the game. Like that's what happened in this game, at least. And it's happened in multiple other games. But if I had Nick Chubb out there on the field, you would think that you would be wanting to use play action with Chubb out there on the field. And we don't do that very much. We have a lot of RPOs, but we don't have a lot of play action looks. Um, and I don't quite understand why that is. It's very, very confusing to me. Like, it seems like that should open up like lots of passing options. Like, lots if, of lanes. I mean, look at what the Ravens are doing. That's all they do. That's I know. The only thing that they do constantly is play action. And they put Lamar in a great situation where he has wide open lanes down the field, open zones where everyone's biting because they're so afraid of Lamar and Mark Ingram. And we have basically those weapons. Although Baker's not one of them, he's not a threat to run. But with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, you would think that we could create those same windows. Yep. And even when we do have play action, like there's sometimes where you see that we do a play action fake and we're looking to get like a long, a deep ball. Our ball fakes suck. Like it, like it doesn't, it doesn't fake anyone. Like no one is concerned about the ball being handed off in that case. It's like Baker holds a ball and like gets it out back like before it's two feet into the running back. Like it's not even like two feet away from the running back. It's crazy. I mean, it's that's a that's a Freddie Kitchens thing, right? I, I mean, that's that has to be. It's like you're not focusing on the little things, the way the play is supposed to be run, and those are the things that confuse defenses. Those are the things that get you that little sliver of space in an NFL defense that you can have a passing window. Yeah. Right? Like, that's got to all be on him. I mean, I, I partially give the blame to Baker, but you don't have a team like this with this many talented players, and our run game is still producing like crazy and not produce if it's not the offensive play caller's fault. What, and would, what would Nick Chubb look like in, like, Dallas? Imagine him on San Francisco. Uh, wh- like, what? Well, what if Kyle Shanahan had Nick Chubb? What would he be doing right now? It'd be like 2,500 yards. He should be the one going over the other sideline saying, come get me. Like, <laughs> like, after that San Francisco game. Oh, man. It is, just, it is insane. Like We have one of the worst um, graded run blocking lines in the NFL, and he's leading the NFL in rushing. That's hilarious. I think it's How the third worst. It's the PFF has us as the third worst rushing, rush blocking offensive line yeah that's crazy he's just completely manufacturing yards all on his own it's incredible so when i rewatched the game that was my takeaway from the offensive side of things but i think the defense looked even worse when i watched it the segment like run defense was the worst thing i've ever seen in my life from the very beginning of this game there was no inspiration on the defensive side of the ball they didn't look prepared like I don't think the Cardinals were doing anything that they haven't been doing all season. This is the type of offense they've been running. Like, when we looked completely shell-shocked or, like, tired or out of it, like, from the start of the game. Joe Schobert had his worst, quite possibly worst game of his career. His PFF ranking was a 40.0 in the entire Everyone looked like crap. There isn't a single player that looked good on defense in this Mac game. Wilson? No. Mac he Wilson had, graded out at a 90.4. I think that's bullshit because I saw him hit the wrong hole multiple times whenever I was watching this game today. He did. I feel like. Was he pass the, rushing or was he run defending? He was run defending. And 
he had that great interception. It was a very good interception. I don't know how they do these. I think that those the turnovers really weigh really heavily. It. Yeah. So, anyways, um, it was a brutal effort, and like they didn't look prepared. They didn't look like they wanted to stop the Cardinals. And the worst offender is Demarius Randall by far. Demarius Randall single-handedly gave up like a hundred yards in this game. It was insane. He just he loafed. He went the wrong. He hit the wrong hole. Got caught up on defenders. Like when he just wasn't even trying to like break free, like on blocks. It was in over and over and over and over again in this game. There was like key third downs where there'd be a receiver coming over the middle. It was one of the early ones um, in, I think in the first quarter and he makes the read. He sees his guy. He goes to like close and then hesitates. And then they they pass it to him while he's wide open and it allows like another 10 or 15 yards. It's like Baker's pump fake where he doesn't throw it the first time. And then he decides to do that. It's a lot like that. But he just looks lost. Like, I don't understand. For a guy that most Browns fans were clamoring to be signed to a long-term deal this offseason, to where we are now, like, I am, couldn't be more excited to see him walk out the door. I don't get the impression he's good in the locker room. <laughs> I heard Kareem Hunt saying that some guys weren't going 110% to the end of, to the, end of the whistle. And... I immediately thought he was talking about Demarius Randall. That's not what he was saying or insinuating. I'm saying my brain went there because of what I've been seeing on the field. And I, I mean, it's pathetic. What causes that? Like we're, we're, even though we lost to the Steelers, we still have a chance to make the playoffs. I know. Pretty decent. And there was zero inspiration. Like, so to me, that starts with a head coach. Like if you're not prepared, like, and ready to play, that's on the head coach. And as almost equally as much on the defensive coordinator. But like they're sharing in that. Like, how in the world do you go in and Freddie Kitchens is playing against the team that he coached for for like eleven seasons? And the team that Steve Wilkes was the head coach for that got last fired year. after one year and they just completely laid a freaking egg. Which makes me think that the team is not behind Freddie Kitchens or Steve Wilkes at all. Because most of the time in games like this, you see players stand up and say, like, when coaches are about to get fired, they're like, oh, heck no. We're going to win these last couple games to keep our head coach. I know. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's the first time that I've thought that Hugh Jackson might be a better coach than Freddie Kitchens. That's that, I, it's hard for me to even say those words, but I always felt like the players were playing hard for Hugh Jackson. And he was just an idiot with his like head up his butt and couldn't figure out how to like do the simple things. Yeah. What? But they were playing hard for Hugh Jackson. Like they wanted to win for Hugh Jackson. He just couldn't get out of his own way. What would Hugh Jackson's record be? I mean, it was terrible before we fired him. We were bad before we fired him last year. And then we took a step. What would our record be if we had Greg Williams as our head coach? People will play hard for Greg Williams. There was a big Twitter contingent today talking about how um, 
what's his face? The offensive the offensive line coach from last year, Bob Wiley. Bob Wiley, yeah. How his comments earlier in the season about how Zampezi was a huge reason why the offense was successful and it wasn't Freddie Kitchens at all. That he was probably spot on with yeah. with some of those comments. And I was super I was super skeptical of those comments whenever they came out. It sounded like someone that was a little bit bitter. Because they just got let go, yeah. But it's a little hard to argue with at the moment. Man, I, I've, I have turned a significant degree against Freddie Kitchens over the last two weeks. Yeah, over the last... I mean, you, you asked me three weeks ago if I thought we should or would fire Freddie. I would say absolutely not. However, if we did right now, I would not be devastated. I mean, like, think about the options, the potential of all the different coaches. We Like, we could get someone that would come in here and could potentially use these weapons. And it could be, we could look like a completely different team next season. I don't have confidence that if we go into the offseason with Freddie Kitchens, and then and Steve Wilkes and this coaching staff, we come back next season that we're going to look like a completely different team. I don't know that we will. It almost seems like we have to make a change because well, what factors will change, right? So like this, I, I kind of wanted to ask this question on the pocket. Like, what in the world has gone wrong? So to shift away from this game in particular and talk about the Browns season as a whole, like I don't think any of us thought we'd be here at six and eight going into week 15 or week 16 of the NFL season. Like this is unfathomable at the beginning of the year. And there's a lot of factors. Yeah. I mean, you could look at something as simple as Odell Beckham's injury. You know what I mean? That's something that's been lingering the entire season. He's been playing at what? 80, 85%. Who knows what he plays on him. If he plays, if he plays a hundred percent all season, is that a different story while we're forcing him the ball? He's like actually got separation. Like he clearly is not playing at the same level that and separating at the same level that we've seen in years past. Could that be part of the coaching staff, not putting him in position to do so? Or is it more of the injury? I don't know the answer to that question, but that's one factor. Our offensive line is not as good as it was last year. We lost Kevin Zeitler. We traded Kevin Zeitler in return for more pass rushing help. The defensive line was supposed to be the strength of this team. Miles Garrett is not playing down the stretch because he's an idiot and he swung a helmet at another player. Olivier Vernon's been hurt at the same time as Miles Garrett being out of the out for the rest of the season. Like that's We're bad luck. Sheldon Richardson at left end. But even still, like he's not doing much. Yeah. Larry Ogunjobi has not had a particularly standout season. Like the unit that was supposed to be the anchor of our defense has been far from that. Well. It- I mean, when Miles is in, for a time when, when Miles, Miles is in, he makes a huge difference on our on our defense, and that certainly has been a huge loss to not have him the last few weeks. Both but, of our corners being out with the same hamstring injury for how many games? Six, seven games in a row. But during our most important stretch of the season, that was a huge part of it. It seems like John Dorsey swung for the fences, got top tier talent, and sacrificed depth. We have had some injuries. We've had some guys that aren't one hundred percent, and we have. Sh- it has sh- been shown that we have not had the depth that we needed to contend week in and week out. Isn't that a Sashi Brown, Paul D. Podesto influence? 
Like, isn't that what you do? You pay for top tier talent. You don't worry about depth. You don't pay for depth. I I wonder. Like, I don't know. I think it's super unfortunate that it's happened. I and I think that there's injuries all across the board to every single NFL team. Oh, and no they're, doubt. They're key injuries that you like. Almost you could look back on and be like, this is the reason why we why we lost these games. But you have to have a coaching staff that can have a plan in place for the next man up that can successfully mitigate those injuries and you can still be successful and win on a week. Look at the freaking Pittsburgh Steelers. Look at what Mike Tomlin's done. But they also have depth. They also have, they have more talented players beyond the starters than what the Browns have. There's no doubt, like across their entire roster. And at the important positions like offensive line in particular. Yeah. So like looking at last off season, you knew that the, only- the tackles were an issue for the Browns. And we yes. rolled back with the exact same two guys, and we made one of the other offensive line positions worse by getting rid of Kevin Zeitler. Yep. That's a fact. Like, you can't argue with that situation. No, for now, sure. Now, I don't doubt that they tried to upgrade at the tackle positions, but they didn't do it. And then, in turn, they got rid of the right guard for a defensive player. And so, like, that just was not good enough. It's just not good enough. You're making your team worse. The depth was Especially not Especially when that defensive player's not playing. Like, oh, yeah. But, and so, like, that's an issue right there. We were kicking and screaming during draft weekend because we didn't get a single defensive tackle when that was one of the weakest positions that we have on our team. However, Sheldon Richardson and Larry Ogunjobi have been healthy throughout the entire season. Which has been fortunate. But you need three or four good defensive tackles, and we've had two all season, right? That's a problem. Like, it's just, and at safety, we switched to a system where we're trying to play three safeties, and we've only, have we, do we have one safety that's worthy (laughs) of starting in an NFL team? (laughs) All season, like, seriously, this is a legitimate question. We're playing a defensive system where we're supposed to have three safeties out there, and I don't think we have one that's worthy of starting on an NFL team, on a contending NFL team. Well, Demarius Randall has been in the past. I just think that the role that Steve Wilkes has put him in is like he looks like a completely different player night and day from what he was last year. Like, and we lost Jabril, and I think Jabril was a huge safety net for Demarius Randall, and Jabril being gone is right. a problem. Right. Randall. And so, yes, I, I, I completely understand your point and I agree, but I think Steve Wilkes, like you can't say it time, time over and over again. You can't just bring your scheme in and be like, I expect these players to fit it. You have to use the talent that you have. And is, is John Dorsey and Freddie Kitchens and the coaching staff that like the defense alone tells me that they are not communicating and making a cohesive strategy to move forward um, and be a competing team the way that the Ravens are. Look at the Ravens. Like, we were talking in the offseason about everything that the Ravens were doing, and we were like, oh, the Ravens aren't going to be that good. Like, everything that we were doing looked super flashy. But what they were doing was they were cohesively working together, coaching staff, front office, all at the same time to make one plan to move forward in one direction. That's just something that we've never done. It certainly appears that way. I mean, it, it certainly appears that way. I mean, so the point, though, that started this whole run of conversation was if we run back with the same people in the same seats, can we expect different results? 
I don't it, think so. And I wonder, I don't know if I'm as sure of that, but I wonder if you build a little bit more depth across the team. My personal take is that this team needs, a, and I'm taking this kind of from the Buffalo Bills line of thinking, a little bit of veteran influence, like on the defense in particular. Like, can we get like a safety or two that is like actually won games in the NFL and played in the playoffs and could be like a leader that this team like runs to? I feel like Jabril Peppers was a little bit of that outspoken guy on the defense that like everyone rallied around a little bit. He's gone. Like, I where is the heart and soul of the Cleveland Browns defense? Maybe it was Christian Kirksey was, who got hurt. It was Kirko, but then he got hurt, and then, like, and we're probably not going to re-sign him. So, well, he's he's on under contract. It's a matter of whether the Browns move on from him or not. Which there's not too much of a penalty if we do. But we've got him for two more years. Like he was re-signed yeah. under the Sashi tenure, and he's just kind of expensive. If they decide to move on from Schobert, I bet you they bring Kirko back. Everyone's assuming they're not going to bring Kirksey back, but if they don't sign Schobert, I don't think they're going they to let to. Kirksey go and I don't, I don't think it's possible but anyway that's another conversation i just don't think they have any teeth in this defense like there's nobody there miles garrett is just not that guy even though he's the best player and you need somebody in the secondary or at middle linebacker that is that guy and they don't have that joe's right not now. that guy denzel's not that guy the- you hear you hear different teams talking about players that aren't always like the most talented but like play hard and people rally like around them guys like even like a who is it it was who is that linebacker that we got from the jets that has since gone on to play for the saints that dude you know who i'm talking about exactly you're talking about and he wasn't that good he's a little bit slow he's like a he's a four three like a middle linebacker but when you hear any Saints player talk about their defense, they're like, you have no idea Davis. how important Demario Davis is to this yep. team. We need guys like Demario Davis. We need like two of those guys on our defense. Yeah. I believe that. Like in the different position groupings. We need someone in the secondary. We need someone on the front seven. I believe that wholeheartedly that we need a couple of those guys that are going to work hard, set an example, and hold people accountable. Right now, there's like n- no one, even like at the coaching staff, yeah. I feel like that is wired that way, that anyone can like look at and respect and like fall in line whenever they, they say something. This just needs to happen. The, the culture is not there within this team, and that falls on a lot of different people, I think. But no, yeah. it'd be super helpful to get somebody like a Demario Davis in that locker room. No, I think it's fair, and that's definitely true on the defensive end. On the offensive end, we have those people, right? Like, that's, that's Jarvis Landry, right? That yeah. hopefully should be Baker Mayfield. And my question is, I don't think it has been this year. My question for you is, do you think that with the way this season has turned out, as disappointing as it has been, do you think that this will be good for Baker in the long run? I'm not particularly worried about Baker in the long run. I definitely think it's going to be good. I de- because he's somebody that always has like 
taken adversity and, you know, thrived in that situation. He's so, done this over and over and there over There was a again. quote a few weeks ago, it was probably more like mid-season, where he said, I probably didn't harp on the details like as much as I should have. Baker said that? Yeah, like in the preseason and like in training camp. And so I think what that was, what he was trying to say there, was something along the lines of, I'm the quarterback, but I wasn't being as like anal and making sure everyone was doing exactly what they needed to be doing. Yeah. And he like realized that after the fact. But he's a second year player, and look who's in his locker room all of a sudden. It's Jarvis Landry, who he's ha- has a relationship with, but Odell Beckham, one of the game's biggest stars. Yeah. He's never led a locker room like this before. He's been anytime I would defer to Odell Beckham. And Jr. he's already and he's being told by everyone else that he has it. Like he yes. is the answer. He so, gets married. So he yeah, he gets married. It's a big that's a big thing to happen in the offseason. No, it is a huge thing to happen. And I noticed, did you notice? He had some pudge on him. Like he was <laughs> he was fat, he was thicker. He had a little muffin top coming out. I I legitimately don't think that he put during the offseason. I just don't think he was putting the work in. And I, I think I think that I think this he was, is what I don't, we've seen. I don't think he was put I don't think he knew the right way to put the work in. I am not going to question that he put work in. I actually am pretty confident that he was like he he was diligently working but maybe not efficiently or on the things that he should have been working on. And I think that that will get fine-tuned and he's going to realize how important all of those things are going forward. No. And because this was his first real offseason in the NFL. Yeah. And, and it um, went very poorly. Yeah. And I know for a fact he's not going to want to run this back again. And so he's going to do everything within his freaking power to, no, he's to being, make it work. He's being drugged through the mud. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. And so um, I'm not too worried about him long term. I'm hoping, though, that just, I, I don't know. You've got to have the right formula. He's got to have the right people in there, like, helping him along the way yes. with all of those things. And I don't have the answer to what those things are, but I just hope that the Browns help set him on the right course with those things or some mentor, like a Peyton Manning-type person, a Drew Brees-type person, he's able to, like, garner some knowledge from and like really soak some things up and like figure it out because the knowledge is out there there's mentors out there preparation and just like what it takes to be an nfl quarterback i'm sure it's ridiculous what it does take to be one of those guys drew Brees or peyton manning or anything like that yeah i but like yeah he needs he needs somebody he needs somebody to come up behind him but i think that what has happened this year in the long term for the Cleveland Browns will be very, very good. I don't think we're going anywhere from Baker. And if you follow his career, going back to Oklahoma, going back to Texas Tech, there's nothing that he responds better to than not being believed in and not doing the best. Not doing the best. He comes back all the harder, and he comes back all the stronger, and he's so much more focused and honed in because of it. And so I I think that this season could be a really good thing. So, so that being said, knowing we have another offseason to kind of build some infrastructure, I do wonder if running the same thing back and having some continuity, which it's been reported before the game, granted, before we laid a freaking egg against the Arizona Cardinals, but Ian Rappaport reported 
that the Browns front office and ownership is inclined to keep Freddie Kitchens for next season. That was reported on Sunday morning. So whether that tune changes after the Browns clearly played an uninspired game against the Cardinals, I, I don't know. But we we also have complained multiple times about how Jimmy Haslam is so quick to like change his mind on things. No, yeah, for sure. And so it's like we can't have both things, guys. Like that's just not the way this works. So is it reasonable for us to build a little bit of depth, get some of the right leaders and players in place, draft, have some more protection for Baker, get a third wide receiver out there that we can rely on? And we might see some more success next year. A third wide receiver that we can rely on. I, I just like, we've had that. I, one of the things of this whole season, oh, we're talking about what oh, went wrong. You're about to you're talking about what went wrong. Yeah. Why consistently are we sitting players? Like Rashard Higgins has not played this year. He was one of our most productive receivers last year. He was fantastic. Baker's favorite target. And also like, why didn't Njoku, Njoku play this last week? It somebody doesn't make any expl- sense to me. Somebody needs I, to explain these I, things. I, as a fan of the Browns, who has given them a lot of my dollars um, in, in merchandise and ticket sales, I want an and explanation. And if you value your time, think about how much think, of you Think yes, about how the many opportunity of your- <laughs> costs that I have given to the Cleveland Browns. I want an explanation for these things. It doesn't make any sense to me. And there's no explanation given, and they just sit on the sideline multiple times. I just see Njoku chilling there next to Baker, just eating sunflower seeds. Like it's so not, what is going of, on? It makes no sense to me. And th- it's the same question in a broad sense about guys like Jannard Avery that they've just kind of moved on from. And like all of these players. Yes. Over and over again that we've just kind of like stuffed down and haven't given them an opportunity to actually like do anything to contribute with Grow, this team. Flourish. Late round picks. I mean, uh, it's not quite the same, but like you, you went into the season counting on a guy like Antonio Callaway to actually produce that. That's has, out of our hands. That has yeah. not happened. But you move on from a guy like that. Like you still have a Rashard Higgins, right? Like you and, still have. And even like Austin Corbett. I get that we traded him. We didn't think he was worth it. But he also didn't really get a chance to show that he wasn't capable of doing it. Like they never actually played him. And gave him a chance to do it. They moved him all over, all over the place in the preseason, and then he never really got a chance. But now we, we, they were right. We, we see him now, and he's back. He's had some good games with the Rams, and he hasn't missed a snap in the last, like, four or five weeks. I, I don't think he's good. I'm not saying he's good, but he's getting a chance now, and I, I'm not going to be surprised if he figures it out. Yeah, I will say that. So anyways, some of these things are baffling and a lot of people are like guessing that it's a John Dorsey influence that he has control over the active roster. And so the Njoku being inactive is more of a Dorsey decision. The Richard Higgins thing is more of a Dorsey thing. I don't quite understand the motivation that would lead to that. I, Why would Dorsey even want to do that? I don't. I don't know. These, these things don't yeah. make sense to me either. So um, there's a lot of holes this team has to fill. We need depth at lots of positions, and we need freaking starters at lots of positions. We have some good top-level talent, but like, 
it's going to be a hell of an offseason. And I don't think it's the type of offseason that John Dorsey is capable of delivering. John Dorsey is great at getting those top level guys. And we need the like the meat. We need yeah. the like solid role player, like depth player. And he likes to swing for the fences. He doesn't do that very well. We need value. He doesn't do that very well. Yeah. I'm concerned. That's legitimate. Yeah. It's very, very legitimate. What what he does do well is he gets a hold of players like Nick Chubb and Jarvis Landry, who just recently got elected to the Pro Bowl in some other Browns news. So Nick Chubb and Jarvis, congratulations. You are now Pro Bowl players. Freaking Joel Batonio keeps getting shafted. He's never been to the Pro Bowl. Yeah, and the thing that sucks about that is if he goes to the Pro Bowl once, he's going to keep going, and it's going to be like, for the rest of his NFL career, he's going to keep going. He keeps getting shafted. I feel sorry for Joel. <sighs> Great guy. Great left guard. We've got a bunch Not of a alter- Pro Bowl player. We've got a bunch of alternates, too, I think. Um, do you yeah. happen to have that jotted down or see that anywhere? I, I don't I have it right now. via Twitter earlier, but... Um, I know Odell is one of the alternates. Is that Denzel awkward? Ward is, is that awkward for them? Jarvis and Odell? Jarvis makes it, Odell doesn't? I would guess that Odell being hurt, knowing he hasn't been his full self, is probably all right. The, Pat- oh, the Padawan learner becomes the master. Schobert, Ward, and Beckham. Okay. So the Pro Bowl being what it is, some of those alternates are going to get an invitation. They're going to squeak in. Yeah. Others are not going to be able to make it. And so that, that Pro Bowl list and expands pretty significantly every year. I made it to the Pro Bowl. So I'm hoping Joel gets it. Technicality, let's go. Um, I mean, that's how Denzel made it last year, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and Jarvis made it at the very last minute last year, too. Still made it. Still counts. <laughs> um, and another loose association, Browns news, Josh Gordon. Suspended indefinitely. Out of the league. Bye-bye, Josh. The, well, Suspense, it has to be mentioned. Suspension. It has to be mentioned for the amount of time that we've spent talking about Josh Gordon on this podcast. How many man hours do you think that we've put into talking specifically about Josh Gordon over the years? A lot. But you know what's so funny is how little I've thought about him this year. Oh, yeah. None. He's even sitting on the bench on one of my fantasy teams. And like, I've never started him, but he's just been sitting there and I haven't even thought about him. No reason to. He's gone, and we have a full wide receiver I mean, he's pretty much done. Room. He's almost 30 now. Oh, well, no, he's very much so just done, done. Isn't he? Like, he's not the permanent ban now. Mm-mm, oh, no, because it's PEDs. No, it's an indefinite suspension. It's like what he's had for a million other times. It's like the same song and dance. I, I don't see him finding another a, home. Another chance. No, probably not. It's unfortunate. Man, it, just, it just really stinks. For a guy like that, like, could easily have been the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. Easily. And never, he never made it to his second contract. That's all. No, most talented, probably, wide receiver in the NFL. Physically. He never made it to his second contract. Which is all the money. No, that sucks. 
pour one out for Josh Gordon. Poor guy. He did it to himself, but clearly has a lot of problems um, that he can't get over. All right, let's wrap this up. I want to move on to the line. Let's right. move on to the lines. You got him, Michael? Uh, unfortunately, I do. Matthew's just destroying us. It's not even within reach. It's a battle for second place now between you and I, Mark. How's that um, going for me? Well, you're two games behind me. Okay. We got some time. But we're both below 500 by a good bit. So it's pretty <laughs> That's sad. That's why I didn't put real money on these games. It's pretty sad. Uh, Matthew's got a 58% um, winning percentage. I'm at 42% and you're at 37%. So right. we have some room for improvement. I, I can barely get back to 500 if I win out the rest of the year. So the good news is we have extra games this week because there are three Saturday games. No college football means lots of NFL games. I think three is more than we've ever had on a Saturday near the end of the NFL season. So that'll be exciting. First one. Rams heading to San Francisco to play the Niners, where the Niners are favored by six points. You go ahead, Michael. Well, the Rams are starting to figure things out a little bit. Their offense is coming alive. So it would seem. Their offense is coming alive. They've got something to play for. I think if I heard this correctly, they if they win out and the Vikings lose the next two games, the Rams will get a spot in the playoffs. And so they've got a lot to play for. I like their coach. They've got talent. That they do. And they're being given six points here, so they really just have to cover those six points. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Rams. Matthew has uh, mailed in. Even though he's sick, he's still willing to make his uh, podcast picks. And he has picked the San Francisco 49ers. Hmm. I, too, am going to pick the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers lost a heartbreaking game to the Falcons last week, um, which I always like how teams bounce back after a bad loss like that. I, I don't think San Francisco loses two in a, in a row, and I think they come back and win by more than a touchdown um, to the Rams, too. Just has not been able to put every single piece together all year long. I do like the coach, don't like the quarterback. I like that combination over there on the other side in San Francisco by more than a touchdown. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to move on. Buffalo heading to New England. New England Patriots favored by six and a half points. The Bills riding high, clinched a playoff berth. Everyone in Buffalo is just out of their minds. Yeah, they are. And New England, those Patriots fans are getting a little scared. They haven't really got their uh, late season um, vibes their going. kick like they normally have. They usually have a kick start, and they start rocketing into the stratosphere right about now. They've got three losses. Their offense looks like trash. They were losing to the Bengals at halftime. They have a very good defense, though. Yes, they do. They beat the Bills the first time around. What do you think is going to happen this time? I think that the Bills are not only going to cover these six and a half points. I think they are going to win the game. The Bills are well on their way to taking that number one spot. They're going to win the division. The Patriots are reeling it back. They cannot hold it together. It's the end of the Bill Belichick era. Tom Brady literally gets carted off the field, and he gets drugged all in one game off the field. All in one game, Bill Belichick retires, and it's all over. The Bills did it. Sean McDermott is everyone's hero. I don't think you can kill Bill Belichick's spirit that easily <laughs> with just one game. 
<laughs> a loss to the Bills will do a lot for you. Bill Belichick's just gonna like die on the sideline one day. Like so. he's gonna have like a freaking heart attack and just die on the sideline. It's gonna be after the most like a really bad loss. It's gonna be the most appropriate passing. Like, like we've not ever out seen. of joy, but out of like frustration. He like won't an, even have like an emotion on his face. He'll have that like blank stare like on his face where he's just kind of like looking off in the distance and just like keel over. That's gonna be it. But it's gonna be after like a fumble or something like that. Or a misread by his quarterback. You've never I've have you ever seen Bill Belichick have the like Nick Saban like freak out? You know how Nick Saban will just like absolutely freak out every once in a while? No. Belichick doesn't really like freak out like that. He can clearly get like upset, but he's never just flips a lid. No, not Will Muschamp level. No. <laughs> uh so bills are a clean sweep from us matthew picked the bills i'm pretty clear on the bills like six and a half points i just don't see how the patriots are going to score enough points against that bills defense to cover all that it, i think it's it, it'd be so hard to feel good about a patriots pick there so that's clear across the board brings us to the next game on saturday houston texans favored by three points heading to tampa bay to play the buccaneers this game is going to be called by your own, our own, the one and only Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas is going to be in the booth for this game, so you bet your bottom dollar I'm going to be tuning in. It's the only reason I'm tuning in, because <laughs> there is no way on my own Saturday evening I would choose to watch the Texans and the Buccaneers. But no, I definitely I want to watch Joe. And if I don't tune in, I'm going to tune in later on Game Pass and make sure that I watch. And hear everything that lovely man says. I'll give you my pick. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say Jameis Winston, only quarterback in the NFL. Two straight weeks, over 450 yards, is that what it was? Two straight weeks. The guy is going off. Him and Bruce Arians, their connection is just absurd. And I want to say this as well. Tampa Bay is going to win this game. Because Tampa Bay is going to win and Houston is going to lose next week, the Titans are going to lose out, the Steelers are going to lose out, and Indianapolis is going to win their final two games, and so are the Cleveland Browns. And when all of those things happen, we are going to be in the playoffs this year, baby. We are down but not out. There is still a .08% chance that we can make the playoffs, and I just laid it out for you. Go Browns. I hope you're right. Tampa Bay is going to win. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I don't think you're right. No, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't either. Um, Matthew picked the Texans. I've been picking the Texans. They've got something to play for. The Bucks don't really. It is true that um, they're kind of hitting their stride. Jameis seems to be earning himself an opportunity to continue playing for the Buccaneers in the future. Good for him. He's also threatening for the um, single-season interceptions record. Which we've always said, you got to be pretty good to break that record, right? Yes. Like, you got to be a pretty good quarterback to have that one. Yep. And so, anyways, that will be interesting to see. I would love to see him, like, truly threaten for that and get a two or three picks in this game so that Week 17 is particularly interesting on that front. Um, but I've got the Texans covering those three points. Um, which brings us to the Sunday night game. Kansas City favored by five and a half against Chicago. I'll make my pick. I've got Kansas City. Matthew's got Kansas City. Do you think, Mark, that Chicago can cover those five and a half points? I do. I do. Mm. I think that old Mr. Trubisky 
and Matt Nagy. Mitchell. Yes, sir. I think they're starting to figure something out. I don't love this team as a whole. I, I like Matt Nagy as an idea a lot, not as an actual coach. But I, I'm going to go with the Bears. I'm trying to gain some ground. I got to beat you somehow, and you're picking the same thing as me. <sighs> Which brings us to the Browns game. We're playing the Ravens again. I picked the Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 10-point line in Cleveland, and we beat them the first time we played them. But doesn't that just feel like a season ago? Oh, like, it was so long ago. That, that was, was the high four. point. That was the high point of our season. No doubt. Oh. It was week four. We didn't have our starting corners, and we still beat them. We were on top of the division. We were. Uh, two and two. Nice. And I thought it was like just the start of the ascent. A strong two and two. I thought it was the start of the climb. In fact, it was... You're making me sad, Mike. Was the highest we would achieve. Was that was the top. For that to have been the case, that we went to Baltimore, we beat them soundly. And then later in the season, we are now facing them, and they're a 10 point favorite coming into Cleveland. And neither one of us can in our can justifiably pick the Browns to cover those 10 points. That is sad. I don't have the Browns. You don't have the Browns. But Matthew. Seems to have some faith. He picked the boy. Browns. Least one of us. He's the best of us. Ugh. He's the best of us. That's fantastic. I, I do think we're a decent matchup against the Ravens. I am particularly concerned about what we'll be able to do from a defensive line standpoint without Miles and potentially without Olivier Vernon. I just don't think we'll have what it takes to contain Lamar Jackson. Mm. I'm not scared about him throwing the ball but I just don't think we're going to be able to contain him in the pocket. Like you have to be able to do in order to and like dictate the game. And they're going to score a lot of points. And I don't think that we're going to be able to score enough points to, I mean, there's we Ravens offense has scored. We were able to the first time and hopefully we'll rely on the running game. I think that's their weakness as a defense. Like their secondary is super good, but hopefully we'll rely on Nick Chubb. We will plot out the game, extend the game a little bit, you get a stop or two, and all of a sudden you're in this game. If we can get out, get a lead, you want to play from ahead when you're playing the Ravens. We can get out, get a lead, control the ball on the ground. Yeah, we can maybe and lose by that's, nine. That is, <laughs> that is the way we're going to cover this game. <laughs> oh, anything's possible, Mark. Yeah. You know, if we're going to cover, we might as well win. Come on. Might as well. Bucket. What, I was thinking about this earlier today. So right now, the Browns. In the division, we are three and one in the division so far this season. And this whole season seems like a complete waste. But we are three and one and have never, in the modern era of the Browns, beat all three teams. And we've already accomplished that feat. It is in the cards for the Browns to go five and one and for us to feel in the division and for us to feel like the season was complete crap and was completely wasted. It's How ridiculous is that? It's. I mean, with Freddie talking after we beat uh, beat the Steelers the first time, after Miles Garrett did the thing, it's like that's all they talked about in the offseason, was like, we're just going to win in the division. And that was like our focus from the very beginning, was to win these divisional matchups, which is good and fair, but you can't lose every other game, It was so basically. much of a focus that Miles Garrett smashed Mason Rudolph <laughs> with a helmet because he hated him so much. It was in. just, ugh, the anger was just building up. Because Freddie was great at getting him ready for the divisional games. Dang. 
Yeah, it's. But even if we're four and two in the division, that's still insane. We went four and two. You, if you would have told me, but at the beginning of the year that we were going to go four and two in the division and miss the playoffs, I'd be like, "What are you on? How is that possible?" I would say that the. I don't even know what I would say. Somebody has to be good. That's ludicrous. Yeah. Oh. No, it is. It's uh, maybe the most disappointing season the Browns have had since uh, we got shipped off to Baltimore. We just don't know what to do with expectations. We've never had them before. So, like, having them and then having them dashed is just, like, crazy. Well, I've like, concocted them every year, but I've never had everyone else telling me the Browns were going to be good, too. Right. <sighs> it's super. This happens to other teams. You know, the Colts were expected to be quite good this year, too, and they suck, too. Yeah, but there's a clear thing to point at for why they sucked. Their franchise quarterback retired inexplicably. Like, it, there's nothing that I can, like, put my finger directly on and be like, this is what needs to be changed, you know? And then that's what's so disappointing, mm-hmm. which we talked about exhaustively on this podcast. All right, thank you so much for listening, but if you're still listening, I mean, you have an addiction to the Browns, and you need to get it checked out. <laughs> Seek medical help. Um, you're all the way here at the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We appreciate you. Follow us at Sin of Our Fathers on Twitter. Uh, send us an email, sinofourfathers at gmail.com. And if you like this podcast, please tell a friend. It would go a long way. Um, and then rate this podcast five stars. We would really, really appreciate it. That's how we get up in the rankings so more people can hear what we have to say. Thank you, everybody. And uh, go Browns. <laughs>